Hello, and welcome to another episode of Out of Grief Comes Art. Hi, guys. Co-hosted by myself, Elizabeth Copeland, and, and by the incomparable Hallie Williams. Mm. And today we have a very special guest that I, I've known her for a number of years now. She was one of our original contributors to uh, the stories portion of our website and elsewhere. Just so excited to have her on the program as one of our inaugural guests. And in the meantime, though, we want to thank our sponsors who make this podcast happen actually yeah. and as wonderful uh, moral support. So, Hallie, take it away. Uh, this pot today, we are thanking our sponsor, People's Memorial Association. This podcast is, podcast is sponsored in part by People's Memorial Association, the trusted resource and thought leader for funeral choice, education, and advocacy in Washington State. PMA is the oldest and largest memorial society in our country. For 83 years, this nonprofit organization has been helping people make informed decisions through their classes, free legal resources, and planning tools. Visit their website at www.peoplesmemorial.org to learn more. And while you're there, check out their events and calendar for upcoming virtual classes and download their free resources to get started on your own end-of-life plan. And I want to jump in and have one little thing that although People's Memorial is based in Washington State yep. um, and their physical services are for Washington State residents, uh -huh. a lot of the information they share on their website and in the classes are applicable across the country. So totally check those folks out. They're totally. great people. Yeah, great people and great organization. So, yep, go People's Memorial. Thank you for being a sponsor of us. We are so honored. Okay, so today is is a little strange today's a weird setup we have our guest speaker tara marta who i am so excited to have on this show hi tara hi thank you for having me you are so welcome thank you for just being here um and then we also have elizabeth in new york city guys and she is working on some final touches for our film stuff so if you hear any honking in the background you know that she is out there she hopefully will stay the whole podcast but she might have to jump off so all right tara i am just so excited to have you um tara has been a longtime supporter of grief dialogues and as you guys know i do the marketing for grief dialogues and whenever i post anything or have an event or something tara's like the first person to retweet it like it comment um, you're just very supportive. So thank you. But I feel like I know you just from this online interaction we've had, but um, you are much more than just a, a, a tweeter. You are a very talented artist. Uh, you're a writer of fiction and nonfiction. But besides, you know, meeting me on the web or online, uh, how did you hear about Grief Dialogues and Elizabeth and kind of sniff us out? Well, when my first book, Look Back to Yesterday, was being released, I was looking for somewhere to talk about it because although it's fiction, it takes it takes a lot of elements from my own life. Mm. And I, I lost my mother when I was 12. So I wanted oh, wow. to talk about the grief and loss because that's what the novel deals with. So I searched the internet for places where I could go with this, platforms I could use. And that's how I came across Grief Dialogues. Oh. So I was very fortunate, very Good. lucky to find... Elizabeth. Yeah, and yes. So let me read. I have this short little blurb about her. So Tara Lynn Marta is a writer of fiction and nonfiction. Okay, that right there blows my mind because I don't know if I could do both or how that works. So we're going to get into that. 
Her first book, Look Back to Yesterday, was published by Adelaide Books in 2020, and her latest book, Dreaming Through the Eyes of God, was published in 2021. Now, Dreaming Through the Eyes of God, tell me if I'm wrong, correct me, that one is nonfiction? Correct. Okay, and then Look Back to Yesterday, is that one fiction? Yes. Okay, wow. Yep, you got it. Okay, so which do you prefer to write? You know, I started out feeling like I really liked fiction the most. And I do, because I've always been a storyteller, even when I was a child. I mean, I I loved fiction, and I I really never lived in reality anyway. So fiction's (laughs) kind of nice. But now that I have dabbled in nonfiction, writing this memoir, I kind of like that a lot more. And I love being able to help people with words (laughs) and through my own experiences. So, yeah, I'm kind of gearing more toward nonfiction now although i am working on another fiction novel are you yes oh wow okay it's actually the sequel to look back to yesterday it's called return to yesterday oh return to yesterday okay so let's let's get into um dreaming through the eyes of god that's your most recent one that's the one that's nonfiction, and so this one this one's a memoir and this this kind of tie into your grief story it is. It's, and it also deals with um, faith, because I'm, I'm a very faithful person. Uh-huh. Faith, it's something that it's a tool that helped me to deal with my mom and dad's passing yeah. and a lot of my grief. So I rely on my faith quite often. Mm. So I want to read a book about that for other people and even for people who are not of any faith. I think it still can benefit them because it's all about dealing with grief and also the evolution Mm. of a human being. Because whether we're religious or not, we all have to evolve as human beings. And grief helps us to evolve. And it's also about living your dreams because I had a dream to be a writer. And there was a lot of naysayers saying that you shouldn't be a writer and that's such a waste of time. Uh So I also wanted to write this book to help the dreamer out there to know that oh, it's okay to that. dream. It's okay to follow your dreams. If they don't come true, if it's, you know, if they don't materialize, that's fine. But you won't know unless you try. You can't listen to all the, all the noise out there. Yeah, I <laughs> am seriously a dreamer. Um, I get scolded sometimes a little bit because I, because I do have these really lofty ideas. I have to like bring them in. So, okay. <clears throat> I love that you wrote this book kind of about your own personal journey go ahead and share with us your grief grief journey or grief story um so that we can kind of piece this together a little bit for the for the listeners who have not read the synopsis of your book i feel like your your words and explanation is much better than you know anything i could read off of paper well i lost my mom when i was 12 years old okay she had pancreatic cancer oh and she was only 39 and i was I'm an only child, so I was attached to my mother. I mean, Mm. attached to her hip. And as strange as it sounds, I always had this inkling that she was not long for the world, that that something would happen to her. As a child, I was just paranoid about it. Mm. I didn't even like when she left the house. I would cry. I would have tantrums if she was not right by my side because I feared that something would happen to her. Wow. So... In 1988, when I was 12 years old, we had that conversation, the conversation that I knew was coming, but that I never really wanted to believe was coming because anytime my mom was ill in the past, 
even if she had a cold or a flu, I would say, mommy, are you, will you be okay? Are you going to die? And she would say, no, of course not. I'm fine. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Anytime she left the house, I would say, you know, I would start to cry and she'd say, I'm coming, I'm coming back. Okay. So how did, okay. I don't, I don't want to interrupt, but how, at some point, tell me or tell us how that conversation went. I'm so impressed because she, she hadn't been feeling well for about a year and doctors Mm -hmm. couldn't locate the problem because pancreatic cancer is, it's very difficult to diagnose because it hides, it kind of hides till unfortunately it's too late. I've heard that. So she was in the hospital room and she called me over to her bedside and we had that conversation that was so traumatic because it was Mm. my nightmare being realized. Mm. She was sick. She was going to leave. She wasn't getting better. She wasn't coming back, you know, and she wanted to be honest with me. I had, there there were a few people in in my life who said, oh, she should have never told you the truth, but Mm. you have to, you have to be honest with a child. I think so. It would be more traumatic if she lied to me and said, no, I'll be fine. I'm going to get through this. She wanted to tell me, right? you know, really let me know that our time together was coming to an end. And my, my initial response, again, I was just a kid. I said, well, then I want to go with you, you know? And she said, well, you can't go with me. You have, you have to be here. You have to be here for your father and you have a life to live and you still have time in this world. And she said, I will always be with you. No oh matter what, I will always be there oh. somewhere with you in your heart, in spirit. And it was it was devastating because, again, being an only child, my father was also sick. He got sick around the same time my mom got sick. He had juvenile diabetes. Oh. So he was in the hospital yeah. a couple of months before my mother went in. Mm. So I was dealing with two parents at the same time who were battling their health and your health issues, serious health issues so when my mom passed away on father's day oh. uh, you know i knew that now it was just me and my dad but how long would i have him because he was in and out of hospitals mm. i was lucky that he lived 20 he outlived her by 20 years wow. but at such a cost i mean he was in yeah. and out of hospitals constantly yeah, I my dad was similar with the diabetes. It was just in and out, and it, it's exhausting. It is. It's a very scary thing. Yeah. So wow. yeah, it was really it was devastating, and to be to have to handle all that on your own, you know, it's it's very terrifying. It would have right. been nice. I had brothers and sisters to help me through the process, but yeah, it was hard. So then, when I was about thirty-two, okay, two thousand and eight. Uh huh my father's health just really deteriorated and he had kidney failure Mm. and then he succumbed to a a massive heart attack. Mm. So it was just like that grief was different. It was a little bit not easier, but I would, I always say that losing your parent as a kid is just a little bit more traumatic, but it still hurt nonetheless. Cause now with my father gone, I felt like I was all alone in the world. You know, who do I have? I feel like you're, you know, you're just floating, floating. space or something yeah. that you're just by yourself. And there's nobody there. So it was a very difficult time. So here it says, God took her from the couch to a college campus where her dreams of becoming a writer began to flourish. Tell me about that step in the, in the journey. So a year after my dad passed away, I was 
in a very difficult place, wondering, you know, what now, what next, where to, what do I, where do I go from here? Mm -hmm. And I pray and Mm -hmm. I pray for guidance. And I had always wanted to go to college. I unfortunately did not go right after high school. I went right to work instead. And Mm -hmm. I was kind of a little nervous to go to college because I was never a very good student. So I didn't think myself even smart enough to go. But after praying about it, I got the answer that I had been searching for. I ended up on a college campus, signing away my life to student loans. Yeah. <laughs> and I really Same. felt like that was the answer. And it was because I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to go to school and study writing. I was an English major. And then I went into a graduate program to, for creative writing. And my novel was my thesis. So I had been writing that. It took oh. about 10 years to write that. I started it in junior college. When I first went to college. And then by... Look back to yesterday was your thesis? Right. Yeah. <gasps> oh, that wow. Was my, so it ended up being my thesis. And then I was lucky enough to get it published. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So as a writer... So, okay. Let me, let me pause. I doodle. And I'm very creative and I do graphic stuff and I translate it onto the computer. But for me, I'm always, you know, have some sort of like right here. I have a pen. I got all sorts of clicky pens. I got, you know, and I just have to doodle and kind of do it on the side until something comes to me. And then it's like, oh, and then I run to the computer or what, you know, whatever. And I have a friend who's a composer and he always has an AirPod in. And whenever you see him, he always has this air one AirPod in. He's totally listening to you, but he's always like tapping or something. So for as a writer... Are you always, is your mind always going? Do you always write something, give it pen and paper? Like, what's your process? I have a notebook in my drawer in my room right next to my bed. Okay. A little nightstand. And I carry uh, a notebook with me at all times uh-huh. in my book bag because uh-huh. I don't carry a purse because I'm a writer. I only <laughs> use a purse when I have to yeah. go to professional things. But yeah, writers yeah. use the backpacks, so we oh, have yeah. everything in there. And I have a little voice recorder. Okay. So when an idea comes to me, I could just talk to the voice recorder and get that idea down. Voice because recorder. Because one of my favorite writers is Willa Cather. And she once said, okay. you know, with an idea as a writer, if you don't use it, you lose it. So you better get it down use it, before use it. it's gone for good. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. That's cool. Because I am all, that's, that's. Awesome, because I'm always so interested in how writers capture everything. And for me, I, I can't write fast enough, and then I lose it as I write. I'm terrible. Like, you should see me write sticky notes around the house. I, like, start the sentence, and I'm like, wait, where, where are we going with this? So for your fiction piece, um, look back to yesterday, which was your thesis you just told us. What I I totally can't imagine writing a fiction piece but did that encapsulate a lot of your grief as well in that piece or was that one really just like off the wall totally different worlds um and and a way for you to disconnect from your from your grief no actually it was it was so much a part of me i mean the the main character rebecca it it, she really is me yeah she travels she travels back in time oh um inadvertently she gets sent back in time to deal with her grief and she goes she gets in contact with her mother and her father and her child itself so it really tackles grief but it's so many elements of my own life no yeah i was gonna say is she going back in time and through this book does she handle the situations how you think you would handle them 
Or, as Elizabeth tells me all the time, because she's a playwright, you know, this character kind of comes to life in your head and just tells you what to, to write. That's that's Elizabeth's experience often. But um, is the same for you? Or is this character, you know, are you living through this character? No, she, it definitely started out where I was in charge of Rebecca and I was writing her narrative, yeah. just like my own story. But yeah, at night when I would try to sleep, these characters come into your head and they, and they do take over. Oh. I know that's like a writer's thing, so but that really is true. They take over and they start to dictate where they need to be and what you need to say. So, but oh. yeah, I, I'm Rebecca's a lot like me. I mean, I, although I've never, she travels back in time uh, on a subway. I've never found a subway to take me back in time. But if I did, I probably would go there. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> do you ever get mad at Rebecca? Or have you ever gotten mad at Rebecca, personally? You said it took you 10 years to write this. So so to me, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, and, and when you have this character battling in your head, does she ever tell you decisions that you are just like, or, you know, you're like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, she gets herself into a couple of messes. I mean, just the fact that she couldn't handle her grief and really lived in the past in her head. Mm -hmm. And as I'm writing mm -hmm. this, even though, yes, I'm interjecting some of my own life into it, sometimes I would step back and think, God, was I really like that? Mm. And when for my grief, and I think to myself, yeah, I really was. I did live in the past. I did live in my head. I had a hard time with reality and letting go of my mother. And then, of course, letting go of my father and all of the people that I've lost who meant so much to me. And they're all in the book and they all try to help Rebecca navigate this world without them, oh. you know, kind of trying to tell her, you know, you do have to go on. We are with you, but you have a life to live. You have your own journey and you have to be on that journey. We can't be here, but it doesn't mean we're gone forever. So I really wanted to touch upon that mm. to help people with their grief and right. hopefully lead them to some kind of acceptance. I know a few people in my life personally who have lost parents, um, both, right? And found themselves in situations kind of like you, where they just are feeling alone, which I mean, to some regard they are, but if, I mean, I'm always the positive person who's like, you know, you've got people, you know, you've got, and, and they've, they've described to me that, you know, yeah, I've got people, but I'm alone. It's just me. Can you speak to that? Because I look at you as a very, I mean, very renowned and established person who seems, at least on the outside, very happy and living a really great life. And you've done some amazing stuff out of your grief and, you know, like write these books. That's just a great example. I also know that she's also a motivational speaker. So that speaks to me volumes about how this grief can be motivated with art. But sorry, my question really is, What's your, what is your two cents on having been alone and navigating through that? Well, I can definitely understand where people would think that you are totally alone because that's how you feel, you know, yeah. even when other people say, oh, I'm here for you. And yeah. You don't feel that way. Mm -hmm. You just feel like you're, you know, especially I think when you lose both your parents, I felt like I was an adult for the first time in my life. Mm. Even though I had lost my mother, you don't really feel like a grown person till both your parents are gone and then you mm. step into their footsteps and mm. step to the head of the line. Yeah. Now sometimes you have to parent yourself and you have to learn how to do that. And somebody who doesn't have siblings like me, I'm very reliant on friends and yeah. I could not have gotten through my journey 
without my friends. Mm. They were my support system. They became my family. And I, I just say to people, look for friends, look for mentors. Mm. I had a lot of college professors who were my mentors that mm. I still keep in touch with. Okay. There are people out there. It's, you know, you have to pick and choose who is right for you and who respects you and who cares because some people will take advantage. Right. You always have to be aware of that. Right. But there are people out there if, if you're searching who help you get through those difficult times. Yeah, I always seem to go back to the love languages. I don't know. Have you heard of the five love languages? Yes. Okay. I feel, I feel like most people have. Um, if you don't know what the five love languages are, please go give them a quick Google and you'll get way too many search results and it might be overwhelming. But um, everybody has a different love language. And typically they say you live through your love language. So for me, it's like acts of service. Um, <laughs> and so I do all these acts of service and that's what I, I am hoping to receive back, right? But I think going off of what you said, it's also really important to kind of identify what your love language is so that other people can can give it to you. I have a friend who um, has had a significant amount of grief in her life and she it took us a while, but eventually we figured out what her love language was so that she could accept support from people because she was just very closed off during that process and, and not even doing anything artistic either to release. Like she just was bottled in and it was like, okay, what, you know, art is a help. Love language is a help. You know, what do you, what do you need to hear? Do you need to hear, hear words of affirmation? Because we can do it. So I, I think that your writing in a way is such a beautiful a expression of art but b it also is a love language to probably many who read um who need words and who need to to absorb something like that yeah i definitely see it that way as well and i love to i love to interact with people when they read my book and they want to talk about i'd love to hear their own personal experiences and i i just really love that interaction that i have with everybody and that's kind of why i'm trying i'm trying at the moment to become i've done one one uh motivational lecture and so far so i'm trying to get that moving in in a good direction i think you are but, fabulous at it you're you're a very easy person to talk to and oh, i trust your you. advice <laughs> Every, everything that comes from your mouth i'm like okay that sounds that sounds on point so yeah Okay, so yeah. give, give our listeners just a little bit of advice here as we wrap up in about the professional side of writing. So if they are serious about it or just kind of grappling with the idea, a dreamer, right? Like you had said at the beginning, what is your advice on how to take a leap? Well, I know not everybody wants to go to college. I've had people say, well, why would you have to go to college? If mm. you're a writer, you're a writer. You don't have to go. But for me, I needed structure. I needed mm. those classes. Yeah. I needed the mentors. So my first advice, piece of advice would be to seek out mentors, people who will, who will um, build you up and not tear you down about your dream. Because mm. if you want to be a writer, they kind of look at you like you have three heads. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> You've got to yeah. write every day. I know writers write who every day. We're trying to make their dreams come true, but refuse to write. It doesn't work that way. You have to be a reader, a writer. You have to work at it every day. And most importantly, you can't give up. If you have a dream, whether it's as a writer or anything, this is the only moment we have. We don't know if we have tomorrow. You've got to do something now. Make that dream come true. Take some steps toward your goal. It's much better than regret. 
Oh, it's much, you guys, I don't know if you can hear me typing. It's much better than regret. She's hitting me with some quotes that I need to doodle somewhere. I love this. We don't know if we have tomorrow. Make that I'm dream come true. Here real quick. Hopefully you can hear me because now the sirens have started too. Um, Hi, Elizabeth. So one of the comments that you made earlier in Iran is about how you had this tremendous loss of your mother at such, such a young age and that people, you, know, you didn't talk about it, and, and especially with children. Um, and how that really impacted your life. <clears throat> if, I, if our 